0: Hey there, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review so your friends know that this is a show that they can learn from. Follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. Now, enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another DIY Money. Honey, isn't it funny?
0: Sometimes. Often educational.
1: Often educational. We are nailing it today is all I got to say. Boy, I am a poet and I know it.
0: How about I just go eat some hay? I can make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say? What's going
1: on in your world, Daniel? Tell me something I don't know about you right now. You're on the
0: spot. That's tough. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking. Oh, boy. Single origin Mexican today. (laughs)
1: You keep—why do you keep—I want to paint the picture. Every time Daniel talks about his coffee, this is classic. He is drinking out of a tumbler, a silver tumbler with a logo on the side that has nothing to do with coffee. It was free. You money. Great. Yet, when he starts talking about his coffee, he holds it up. I'm you pontificating. cannot see into the coffee.
0: It's he opaque. He turns
1: it around. He looks at it and explains the coffee. I love it. It's classic. All right, so you're drinking what now?
0: Uh, This is a Mexican single origin. The roaster says that it has hints of juniper, cardamom, and grape candy. I have
1: never seen you have a conversation with the roaster, but I want to see this. On the package, it says. Oh, okay. So you made this at home? Yeah. It's not Donut Day? When's Donut Day?
0: Bagel Day is on Thursdays. We're cutting this on Wednesday. Okay. Usually. I thought you had a Donut
1: Day. Bagel Day?
0: Dude, I'm watching my figure. Come on. (laughs) Part of DIY money is making sure that you have sustainable health. Don't ingest. Well, we can't all be carb-free and cut like you. Boom. No, nah, I'm I'm far from cut. Oh. Wow. We are off, way off base.
1: Well, look it. We want to identify with our audience. They need to know a little bit about us. So right now that you have told them what you're
0: drinking, it's riveting. It is. Daniel has two children. How old are they? Uh, three and well, three and a half, I guess. when do you stop doing halves? Never. Okay. So three and a half and one. Okay. You sleeping? Most nights. Knife is good.
1: What's going on on the home front? Rental properties, buying property, etc. Where, where are you at? with Rental that? properties?
0: Well, we're, we're not, not doing properties, rental properties.
1: You, you know, you rent. Many people may or may not have caught that over the podcast that we've done when we talk. When we get a question about home purchasing, etc. You're in a you're in a rental stage. You decided to sell your home
0: at a premium, sock some money away, rent for a while, and wait. Um, yeah, I mean we. Premium is relative for what we sold our home for. We had an offer on the table without listing it um, because somebody wanted to buy it, and it was a fair price for us, so we skedaddled. Uh, One of the main reasons for that, uh, it's a bit scary for most people, uh, we figured that by renting, uh, we could keep our options open, take our time, and look for what it is we really want, at the same time, stocking away as much as possible uh with the foreknowledge that it cost a little bit more to rent than to own the very small not very small the relatively in comparison small uh two bedroom one bath starter house that we had prior uh however now we have a couple of years to wait and watch we did our due diligence we looked at a bunch of rentals and uh we found a landlord that uh gave a pretty good out clause in the contract uh with a little bit of notice and uh a s- relatively small penalty in the scope of buying a house And so we are, uh, you know, saving a good chunk every month, throwing that into account, watching, waiting for the right thing to come up. Um, We've seen a lot of things that aren't the right thing for us. They're great houses, but they're just not what we're looking for and or not at the price that we're looking for. Uh, And so we'll wait. The downside of waiting is theoretically housing prices should go up every year, Uh, but we may or may not believe that that will be the case, you know, as dramatically as it has been over the past three to five years. Nothing on the horizon just yet? No. We bought a van this summer because uh, we're a booming family. Um, and so that socked up some of our capital. And so we're not in any rush to uh, to now, you know, go into a house immediately. We're just kind of waiting and watching. In financial decisions like this, there's a lot of uh, pressure that people put on themselves or they feel that others are putting on them. Uh, but sometimes waiting and watching and... Uh, well, you've told this to me in business. Uh, we've had this discussion a lot when the right thing comes along, oftentimes, you know, and not an emotional that, you know, like, cause there's emotion. People look at houses and cars and other life decisions and there's emo- like, I have to do this. But other times, you know, the right thing comes along and you're kind of like, nah, that's not it. And then it just kind of nags you not in an emotional way, but in a logical, like, this is what we wanted. This is what we were looking for. Why would we say no to it? And I know, uh, I think when you got into your current house, that was kind of the situation. When we've made some various decisions as a business, it was uh, similar in that respect as well. That it was a nagging, logical decision that it's just time to act on that. We've not run into that yet. We've seen some good houses that were like, hey, that would be awesome. Uh, But we don't really, we're not that committed to them to make the move yet.
1: So the lesson here, which I think is one that I remind myself of a lot, and it's not where I intended to go today, but I like it nonetheless, before we get to our question is sometimes these things just jump up and bite you. And you got to wait for that. Because uh, if you if you are out there searching, 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 and it's just not right, it's just not the time. Not the time at all. Yeah. This is the only reason we moved uh, two years ago, is uh, there was just I mean, it just jumped up and bit us. It wasn't even, I didn't have to think about it. You know, it wasn't like, ah, oh, should I do this? Should I, blah, 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 blah. Nope, nothing. Boom. All right, let's go to the question because we got a good one today from Tim asking uh, a little bit of in-depth question about some psychology, uh, which I like from the author of uh, Millionaire Next Door. Tim, what is your question? D-I-Y. Why Hi, fellas. My name is Tim from Nebraska. Many podcasts and finance books seem to have a foregone conclusion that parents should be saving for their kids' education or at least future. I would like to hear this discussed in the frame of Dr. Tom Stanley's theory of economic outpatient care. After all, isn't this saving even for specific goals such as education really just a form of EOC? If my kid had to pay for their own education, I did, my wife did. Doesn't that make them stronger versus EOC weakening their economic muscles? I find myself waffling on the topic, so I would like to hear a couple of pros have a little philosophical debate about it. Thank you.
0: Uh, Philosophy.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, let's let's uh, before I kick it to you for your thoughts here, Daniel. Let's let's give a little bit of a background so that people are um, uh, you know you know understanding what we're talking about, and I'll I'll keep it real simple. Tom uh, Thomas Stanley. Uh, was a co-author to the book Millionaire Next Door, Surprising Secrets of Americans Wealthy, uh, 1996. That was published. Uh, It's worthy to note that was in the middle of one of the biggest tech booms um, or one of the biggest stock market booms we had ever seen. Uh, But nonetheless, I would dare say that those statistics apply today. Uh, That's one of the things that I – oh, shoot. There was somebody who came out, uh, Talib, Nasim um, Talib? Yes, who was a little bit critical of the book because he was talking about how that was done at a uh, you know a peak of stock market returns and uh, folks with 401ks, et cetera, uh, were, were deemed millionaires next door. But nonetheless, neither here nor there I, we see the same thing today and, and it's a uh, common practice in our business. I often say that you know, you, you saw some of our wealthiest, wealthiest clients, eight, eight figure clients. you'd want to buy them a cup of coffee. You'd, you'd think, oh, man, this guy, you know, take him out for a cup of coffee. And in reality, uh, he's extremely or she are extremely wealthy individuals. Uh, the concept goes like this. Um, you are enabling, basically, economic outpatient care is a, is a belief or is a, a term used to express and uh, affluent parents provide money to an adult child uh, and it ultimately becomes this um, understanding then that the child is getting this money <clears throat> and it and it sort of evolves into their overall income and lifestyle and then their their um, living standards uh, increase yet they have not necessarily earned the right to increase those living standards if if that makes sense so it's it's look, at the end of the day, it's the belief that if we enable our children with money, they won't work as hard. Done. It's as simple as that. So I have some thoughts on this, uh, Daniel. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, let's just keep the topic broad. I don't think we have to, re- you know, relate back to that terminology or uh, you know the definition therein. But let's talk about it broadly and uh, and kick it around.
0: So yeah, broadly, I would say. Enabling is probably not the best idea, broadly speaking. Now, I think as parents, part of our goal is to, you know, gradually raise up kids, teach them life lessons, uh, support them, put them on trajectories and paths that will, um, you know, have a high probability of leading them to success should they choose to continue in that path and so forth. Um, This could look a variety of ways, I think, throughout childhood. So, for instance, Um, not necessarily just handing out allowance, but having some level of responsibility. Now, when it comes to school, this is where it gets tough for me because there is a societal expectation, especially around certain occupations, uh, that you have to have school, uh, to participate in that field. Now, the downside is that... Uh, now, I know there's... Uh, I don't teach at a university, so I can be pretty free to speak here, I think. But there's uh, there's a capitalist machine, to some extent, uh, overlapping education. And the price of education has risen considerably compared to other areas of the economy. And it's fueled by subsidized and low-cost debt uh, that the government is is kind of promotes, essentially. And so... Uh, now we're getting a little specific here but I think you know schooling is one place where it can help to help out as a parent and it doesn't necessarily in my opinion there's differing opinions on this it doesn't set up necessarily that entitlement factor because you're not necessarily buying a car a house possessions etc so where where I would stray personally is, you know, not hand out possessions on a silver platter to our kids, hopefully in the future. They're three and one now. So I don't have a lot of back history to say what we will or won't do or have or haven't done. But I think those are the things that would lead more to entitlement. Helping out your kid with school to some extent, I think can be a great tool to help set them up for the future, as long as they have some sense of ownership, and there's some sense of uh, sort of cause and effect. So whether that's keeping up their grades, helping out with a percentage of the school, etc. Now, Practically speaking, we're not putting for our kids funds into a specific educational savings account because we don't know what education will look like in uh, 15 or so years when they approach that time. And we don't know what their skills, gifts, and abilities will be and if they would prefer to have us be the first investors in their startup business uh, or if they would prefer to do something else. So we keep those uh, monies in basically a taxable account that we'll be able to give to them at some point. Uh, if the proposal is an uh, enticing investment for us, whether that's education, uh, business, et cetera. Prestige worldwide. The first word in entertainment. and Investors? Possibly you.
1: All right, here's my two cents on the matter. I have seen it play out both ways with my eyes, uh, firsthand experience. So I have seen folks who have started their children out with nest eggs uh, those nest eggs are are blown through immediately on um, on items that are ridiculous and then uh, once that is done that child continues to sort of go back to the well and the parent continues to to fill that well up um, that's horrible in my opinion uh, there's nothing more detrimental than someone who can just you know sort of receive, receive, receive without doing any work. I think that there's a there's a lot of application to that regarding society in general, but we won't go down that path. I've also seen it where the individual has a small nest egg uh, used for education or whatever, uh, home, et cetera, blow through it, and there's no more money. Uh, and they're faced with the reality of, okay, I had a chance and it didn't work out. Uh, There's an interesting area within the Jewish culture. I'm going to maybe open myself up to criticism here, and this is just from my own reading, studying as I have children who are coming of age. Um, My understanding after doing some research is that uh, when a Jewish child turns 12, particularly the the boy, um, and they have the bat mitzvah, uh, one of the things that is given to that child is money and it is their job and it is not taken lightly Uh, it is their job to begin to manage this money in a responsible manner at the age of 12 and their their goal is within this tradition is to is to is to instruct the child and to allow the child to sort of gain experience in this and and sort of set themselves up for the future now I'm going to make a broad, um, non-quantitative backed-up uh, statistic and say that the the Jewish uh, m- men and women that I know and know of are all relatively successful with their money. Um, so for some reason, this particular tradition, culture, uh, religion, what, whatever it may be, uh, is is been fairly successful in this. Now, I can also say that those that I know um, are never enabled. so so they're never going back and and sort of saying, "Oh, you know, I blew through that, didn't work. I need more money. that's that's not how it works. So I think that there's this fine line between uh, establishing this base for your children. And, and allowing them to become responsible financial managers of money, but not enabling them any further. And I think as parents, we know the difference, or at least we should know the difference. So I'm going to kind of leave that right there and, and then conclude by saying I've also seen where children are either through inheritance, the, the loss of someone, or... Due to significant wealth in the family, they are given resources. These children I have seen excel and thrive in unbelievable ways, setting up their their families for unbelievable um, wealth and within future generations. Now, multiple generations down, they may blow it all. Right. I, I One of my favorite books is Conrad Hilton's um, book on how he started. It's called Be Our Guest, uh, and it's, it's uh, how he started the Hilton Hotel Corporation. It's a great book. It's out of print. you got to find it in a used bookstore. Um, when I was reading that book, I was thinking to myself that he would cringe if he saw the way his subsequent generations were handling his wealth. Uh, that's all I kept thinking about as I was reading that. All that he did uh, to 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 buy his first hotel, what happened during the Depression, how he bought the Waldorf. I mean, it's just an amazing story of an entrepreneur who started with nothing and created unbelievable wealth. Well, that wealth obviously impacted his family line for generations. Now we see uh, his subsequent generations and how they're handling that money. Um, only and I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, I only see what is portrayed in the media and what is portrayed in the newsprints, et cetera. And so I can only derive, wow, he would not like that. Maybe they're doing amazing things with that that I'm unaware of, et cetera, and I'm giving him a bad rap. Regardless uh of the situation, it's probably very difficult after subsequent generations to keep that level of maturity and uh um I wouldn't even say frugality, but level of responsibility the same as when it was made. So, again, I think this goes back to the parent. I don't think that we can just sit here and say it's black or white. It's one or the other. This is good. This is bad. I I know for me, my mother uh, got a small inheritance that allowed me to start going to school. Now, thereafter, I had to subsidize. I had to work and pay for years two through four, <clears throat> and that was very impactful for me. That was very helpful. That helped me to build, um, you know, an unbelievable uh, work ethic, etc. But I will say this: early on in my marriage, uh, I had an uncle who passed, left us a little bit of money that helped to pay down some of my wife's student loan debt. That was a huge blessing. And and I you know now I was past the stage I was I was probably a little bit more responsible than most and so we used that money to help pay down we were already on this unbelievable track to pay down student loan debt, pay off cars, credit cards, etc. And and then we got a, a, a small inheritance that was helping in that manner. That was a huge blessing. And I thought to myself that if I were in a position to have some additional capital to purchase the first home. Um, you know, help start the business that would have been amazing. Uh, well, I was not in that situation, and that's okay. And maybe that lent to me uh, helping with the success that we've had in our business. I don't know, but I think it's a it's a per child per parent situation. But I will not deviate and say that if you as an adult know that you are enabling your child and you're in denial, that's as much on you as it is on them. And that is what I think we have to stay very, very far away from. That's a great conversation. And, and it kind of speaks to where I feel we're failing as a society in that we are doing a horrible job teaching financial education to our youth. Uh, we're putting this on the the teachers who Most of them don't have financial education themselves. And we're saying, well, we should be teaching this in our schools. And I I hear this often. Well, we don't even teach that in the schools. And I I counter that by saying, who's going to teach it? I mean, teachers that are barely getting by, it's ridiculous. So I think it has to come full circle. And we have to really pour into the education in our society. And it's exactly why Daniel and I are doing what we're doing. So share this podcast with someone young. Boom. There you go.
0: What else you got, Daniel? Yeah, eventually, hopefully, we'll have the DIY money family resource for teaching your kids about not being mooches.
1: Yeah, that we're going to charge for it. And make some money.
0: Yeah, that was a really big subtitle, but <laughs> dot, dot, dot.
1: I like it. Prestige <laughs> Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I wait, think. Like, wait,
0: we, can, can this be next to the kids who
1: can't read good school? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoolanders? Yes. Oh, come on. I might I'm be over about, the right? head of All like right, yeah.
0: half the people that listen to this.
1: You keep saying that, and then when I make a joke like that, my Gen X audience comes, rises up, and says, I love it. They do. Yeah.
0: I love that kid. Dumb
1: as a stump, but I love him. Yeah. The your, silent your three ma- followers are silent majority. Majority. very vocal. No, we got a lot of Gen-, Gen Xers. Let me know where you're out there. I tell you, I, we got a lot of them. All right. You got anything else of goodness that you want to share before just continuing to <laughs> knock me down, Daniel, putting no, me in my place?
0: I like how we make it sound like we're 10 years apart or something.
1: What are we? How old are you?
0: Uh, 30... I asked you this
1: how many times a, a year? Six. 36. So we're eight years, six, five, six years apart. <laughs> wow. Yeah,
0: How's that counting working Woo! out? All right. Let's wrap it up there.
1: Uh, you've been listening to DIY Money Hate. It's real simple. Send us your question via. Via? Whatever. Via. Via, no, via's is the Starbucks on the go, uh,
0: whatever. Mediocre. Mediocre. no Mexican, Mexican single origin.
1: No, but when you're in some place that serves nothing, it's better than the hotel bre- blend, right? Anyways, whatever. Sorry, uh, Hilton. Yeah, Conrad would be not happy about that. Amazing book, by the way. I think you should pick it up. All right, uh, send us your questions. D- uh, where, where do they send them? Podcast at DIYMoney.org. That's podcast at DIYMoney.org. Follow us on Insta, DIY. Dot money or Twitter at DIY Money Q. And remember, friends, the secret to wealth is pretty darn simple live on less than you make, invest the rest, and do so for a very long time. Make it a great one.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY. Money. And if you want your questions aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get.